The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all God's people said, Let us rise and worship the triune God. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who are in awe of him. From Hosea 2.23, then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. Lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being merciful to us when we had done nothing to obtain mercy. We thank you for calling us your people when we were scattered abroad. We rejoice that we get to call you our God and worship you now. We ask that you would receive this worship in the name of Jesus Christ and amen. The exhortation this morning is from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. How full are your barns? How full are your wine vats? Or maybe I should ask, how full is your checking account? What is the balance of your savings? How many bottles of wine are in the cabinet and are the cupboards full of good food? Now, there are exceptions to the rule, but in this passage, Solomon tells us that in general, God prospers and blesses and overflows the wine vats of those who honor him with the first fruits of their increase. And we show God this honor by putting our money where our mouth is. You confess Jesus as Lord? Good. But do you confess him as Lord with your wallet, with your debit card and checkbook? You call yourself a Christian? Good. But is Christ in command of what you do with your money? If not, it is possible that Jesus isn't actually your Lord, and instead mammon has become your God. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 24. You cannot love God and money. You cannot serve two masters. And you can find out which God you serve by looking at what you do with the first fruits of your increase. When the paycheck gets deposited, does a portion go to God first or to something else? This is an indicator of whether or not our confession of faith is genuine. God deserves the first fruits. Not the last fruits, not the middle fruits. God deserves the first fruits because God is to be first in all that we do. Before you had strength to go to work, God had to give you that strength. Before you had the skills to program computers, develop a piece of land, or teach Latin, God had to give you that ability. All our work, all our sowing and plowing and working with our hands is only possible because of God's generosity. And like a good father wants to leave an inheritance for his children's children, the Lord wants to bless his people with bread and wine that overflows our storehouses. But he wants to give it to those who will not be ensnared or deceived by these riches. And one of the ways we grow up into this is by giving to God the first of what he gives us in our increase. So when Friday comes and the paycheck hits your account, honor God, give to him, and not begrudgingly or out of compulsion, but cheerfully, for God loves and blesses a cheerful giver. From Hosea 5.15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Father, we confess that we have not honored you with the first fruits of our increase. We are a greedy and wealthy people who have grown fat for the day of slaughter. Forgive us for loving money and worldly possessions more than you. 
Forgive us for our ingratitude when you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Change our hearts, we ask. We confess our individual sins to you now in Selah. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, and amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. From Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come, and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Saints of Christ Church, because you have confessed your sins to God, it is my joy to announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Our sermon text, we actually have two of them. Our first is going to be from Acts chapter 16. Our second is from Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up halfway through the story in Acts chapter 16. So Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail uh, uh, in chains, and wait what happens. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, And seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And our second reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in life, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed But with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we do know that all of us at one point will go through suffering, through trials, through conflict, walk through the battle of the shadow of death. Father, I pray that this morning that we will see your purposes in suffering. Father, I pray that we will learn how to be a joyful people trusting on your work. Father, we ask that your gospel would advance mightily here in Moscow. We pray all this trusting That is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A 
42 days. 42 days. That's how long it's been since the Chinese authorities, Chinese police officers, raided a church, Early Rain Covenant Church, in Chengdu, China. 42 days. And then at that time, Pastor Wang Yi, his wife, and more than 100 Christians were arrested. In the following weeks, the police have confiscated the buildings. They've taken it over as their own police station. They have interrogated, followed, re-educated many of uh, the church members. They've deported many back home. Pastor Wang Yi and his wife and 30 other church members are still, are still in prison. The government is doing this in order to terrify, to silence, to shame Christ's people, and to silence, to chain the gospel. That's what they're trying to do. But these Christians are still worshiping, and the gospel is still being spread. I listened to, there's a text message from a woman she sent out about how she was preparing to worship the Lord on Sunday. She knew that if she went to church, she might get arrested. This is what she said. I'm going to pack socks and underwear, put on warm shoes, put on my down coat, delete everything from my phone, turn it off, and then go to the Lord's Day worship. I will bring a printed Bible and take notes by hand. These are the worst of times, and these are the best of times. The only question left is should I prepare dress clothes or jail clothes? She went to church and she was arrested. She still is in prison for 15 days. We hear this, how do we respond? When I read this the first time, I cried. Do I wear jail clothes or dress clothes? And then I was embarrassed, right? This is what this woman is prepared to do in order to worship her God. And then my heart was stirred by courage, by the faithfulness of these brothers and sisters over in China. Then we pray that God will continue to do a great work through this church. Our sermon this morning is called The Gospel Unchained. And this is the message about chains, the gospel, and Christ's work in both. We're going to look at two two stories about Paul. Paul being in chains, in prison. Paul's been in two prisons. He's been in lots of prisons, but we're going to look at two prisons that he has been in. A Philippian prison and a Roman prison. And Paul writes to the Philippians in verse 12. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Right? Paul is chained, but he says that the gospel is unchained. And the Philippians need to know this. We need to know this. We need to know that the sovereign Lord advances his gospel through the sufferings of Christians. The sovereign Lord advances his gospel through the sufferings of his people. And Paul highlights three ways that this happens. How does the gospel advance the suffering of his people? Paul says that unbelievers are converted. He says that Christians gain courage. They become bold. And finally, Paul looks at his own life and says, my life is used to magnify Christ right, through his own body. If you think about that, that covers everyone, right? What happens when Christians suffer and the gospel goes out? Unbelievers are converted. Christians become bold. 
and Christ is magnified in me. Right? Who's left? God has a purpose. And in this, I hope that we see that we can, like Paul, rejoice, sing, praise God. So we're going to look first at this letter to the Philippians, uh, and then jump back over to Acts, and then finally we'll land with some application of how we can be like this church. Uh, Before we we even get to how the gospel advances to the chains, we need to grasp what motivates Paul, what enables him to be able to, to preach with courage, to rejoice in suffering. And Paul believes the very simple but all-encompassing statement that we get in Philippians 1.21 says, For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. <laughs> right? Why are you living, Paul? What's your purpose in life? And he says, Christ. It is for my work, my labor, that Christ may be shown. What's going to happen when you die, Paul? It's like, I get more Christ. I get to be home with my Lord. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What is Paul? He's a Christian, right? He is a Christian. His whole life is, is under Christ. But it's helpful to remember that Paul wasn't always a Christian, Right? He wasn't always the guy out preaching the gospel. He started out as the persecutor of the gospel. He started out persecuting the church. Right? He was one of the authorities. Right? If he was in that story of over in China, he was the guy saying, yep, go, go take that church down. Go arrest them. Destroy their lives. He had rejected Jesus and sought to chain up Christ's followers. But then Paul met Jesus, and he goes from being the persecutor to the preacher of Christ. What happened? What happened to Paul? The gospel unchained Paul's heart. Paul understood that he was a sinner, that he deserved to die because he had rebelled against his God. He says, I am the chief of sinners, but glory be to God that Jesus Christ came to die sinners of whom I am the chief. He understood the abundant grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And that's why he has a life, because of Jesus' grace. That's why he has a future, because of God's work in his life. And I really want us to understand, because this is something I've been wrestling with all week. I've kind of been avoiding this passage. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because, yes, that is glorious. It's like, good for you, Paul. <laughs> right? If you can say that, like, I respect you. But, but I'm not like you, Paul. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't fearlessly preach the gospel. I complain a lot. When suffering happens to me, right? If I think about dying, I think about man, a, lot of, a lot of loss, right? And if Paul is able to say this because of the work that he does, then none of us are Paul. Right? None of us are Paul. None of us can live up to what he is able to do. But this is a glorious statement by a Christian who has received grace. Right? Why can Paul say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because he has received grace from Christ. He has received God's work in him. Right? So this is not just Paul because of all the work he's able to say, but this is because Paul is a Christian. Right? And that means that if you too have received God's grace in your life, then this is your statement. Right? You can own this. This is, this is the banner right, that we go out into battle. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So that is what, that's what's motivating Paul in all of this. So uh, let's look back at Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 12. Um, if you have your bulletins and not your Bibles, you actually have the scripture passage. So uh, let's get our eyes on the passage. Uh, first, first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. So if we th- if remember back from last week, Paul, he loves the Philippians. Uh, that's how he, he started out. He says, I make mention of you guys always, all the time, in every prayer, and I thank God for the fellowship that we have in the gospel. I love you all. And the Philippians also love Paul. Right? He was their spiritual father. He was the one that, that preached the gospel to them at the beginning. Right? He is their spiritual leader. And they love Paul so much that they send one of their leaders Epaphroditus, 800 miles from Philippi over to Rome with a financial gift to help him out, but then also to check on him. Right? And you can imagine uh, uh, Epaphroditus asking, like, Paul, we've heard that you're in prison. Right? How are you? Right? We heard that the Jews are trying to murder you back in Jerusalem. And then then you were arrested, and then there was a, you're sailing to Rome, and there's a massive storm, and then a shipwreck. And then you got bit by a snake, Paul, and now you're here chained. How are you? And this is how Paul replies. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. All that stuff that happens to me, guess what? I know it sounds crazy, but actually the gospel is advancing. The gospel is progressing because, what it's, because of what's happened. This is not the ordinary, usual mode for church growth. right? You don't go to a seminar and say, okay, let's take your lead pastor and throw him in prison for two years. right? And you're going to have a flourishing church. The gospel is going to go out. Don't worry. It's tried, tested, and proved. It says that because through Paul's imprisonment, the gospel is advancing. Paul's saying, we are not losing here. We're winning. How is this possible? It's because God is crafting a surprising story. God is God, and he is sovereign over Paul's chains, over the prison, over the Roman soldiers, over the Roman Empire. And he is able to make the gospel go out through it all, through all nations. Right? If you look at, you know, just think about chains. Right? If someone is handcuffed and the police officer is marching the guy through the precinct, right? you say, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Well, obviously, you don't think it's the guy who is getting frog marched back. Right? It's the guy who put the chains on him. But Paul says, who's in charge? It's the Lord. The Lord is. And just think about how many times that God has worked through the suffering, through conflict, through sin against his people to advance his purpose. Just think about Joseph and those sleazebag brothers. What does he say at the end of that story? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this to this very day to save many people. Right? You wanted evil. You wanted sin. You wanted me to die, become a slave. But God has worked that for good. Right? You can even think about the pre-Christian Paul. Right? How God used him and his persecution to advance the gospel. Right? This is right after Stephen's death. And it says that Saul, Paul, made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Right? It's like, nice try, Paul. So he's saying Psalm 2. Why do the heathen nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The Lord sits in heaven 
and he chuckles. Right? He laughs. Nice try, Paul. Right. So the Lord is sovereign. He is in control. He is working. And the first way we see that the gospel advance is that through Paul's chains, unbelievers are converted. Paul says in verse 13 that it, was, it has become evident to the whole palace guard. The word for that is the praetorium, right? The palace guard. It's become evident to all of them and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So for two years, Paul is under house arrest with a soldier guarding him, most likely chained to him. And just wonder, what do they talk about, <laughs> right? What does Paul talk to them about? And just imagine that these unsuspecting Roman guards being chained to Jim Wilson, right? What's going to happen, <laughs> right? For two years, <laughs> Right? The jailers fasten on the shackles and say, good, this guy is not getting away. Jim Wilson gets shackled. Good, this guy's not getting away. Right? The Lord is working. He says that Paul's chains are transforming Rome. Right? And remember the context of what this is. Right? Rome is the capital city of the Roman Empire. This is the, the seat of Caesar's glory. And God says... This is a strategic place for Paul to be imprisoned, right? It's more effective for you to be in prison than off going to Spain to plant a church. Right? Because he is transforming this empire. So he's in prison, and Paul preaches that Jesus, a Jewish man who was crucified, is a savior. He's the Christ. He's the promised Deliver the one who's going to release all the captives and set the sinners free. That's what the, the prisoner is saying. And then he is the Lord, right? That means that Caesar is not your Lord. And the, and the guards are like, oh man, we got another crazy, right? We got another crazy guy in here. But then over time, perhaps through his words, through his love, through his, his, his joy. They start asking questions. They start debating. Maybe they start beating him harder. But eventually, they all come to know that Paul's chains are in Christ. And many of them believe. It says that the gospel is unchained among all the palace guards and the rest, right? You got the administrators, the cooks. It says even people in Caesar's household, right? It's great that at the end of the letter in Philippians, Paul says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household, right? What does that mean? It means that the gospel's even getting into Caesar's very home, his household. There are Christians in Rome now because of what Paul is in prison goes on in verse 14. Paul says that the second effect is that Christians are made bold by his chains. It says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become, have, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Much more bold to speak the word without fear. Christians who are afraid, gain courage. And just think that there's already a Roman, there's already a church in Rome. Several years earlier, Paul had written a letter to the Romans, to the church in Rome. But perhaps these Christians are intimidated, right? Living in the shadow of Caesar. And they've kept their heads down. They've kept quiet. They haven't wanted to get into any kind of trouble. And then they see Paul. They hear of his courage, and they themselves are encouraged. Perhaps they remember Paul's letter to them from Romans 8. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution 
or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When a church believes that, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That becomes a dangerous church. This is like what the church is happening, early reign covenant church. What can you do? Right? Yeah, you can shame me, you can fire me, you can take my job, you can put me in prison, you can even take my life away from me, but you can't take Christ from me. You can't take me away from Christ. Right? Pastor Wang Yi, the man, the pastor who was arrested in a sermon before he was arrested, he preached, he said that Chinese society today is filled with people who, out of fear of death, make themselves slaves of the communist government. Today, there are many people, even in the church, who, out of fear of death, make themselves slaves of the communist party and who make themselves slaves of an unjust regime, who wallow in sin, who are afraid to speak up for righteousness' sake. It is because they are living in fear. That's what he says about China. That's what he says about the Chinese church. Is this true of us? Do we live in fear? Look to Paul. Look to these brothers. Take heart. Take courage. Paul says that he rejoices because the gospel is preached. Look at verse 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this, what? This, his imprisonment, his chains, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit in Jesus Christ according to my eternal expe- or my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. Right. What is this suffering about? He's saying that it is my confidence. It is, I am made bold because I know that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, this is, this is what you need to know, Philippians. This is what you need to know of how the Lord advances the gospel through suffering, through chains, through me being in prison. Rejoice in it. Take heart. Take courage. And you just think about this. Like, like they could have remembered, I'm sure they would have, how the Lord has worked in another prison, in another set of chains. Right. Just look, remember what the Lord has done through you, Philippians. Right? God has given them a firsthand experience of how the Lord uses Christian suffering to advance the gospel. Right. So the minutes that we have left, let's go back uh, to Acts 16. Acts 16, and look at this story. What we're going to do is I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, and then I want to have some applications. Like, how do we apply this? What do we take from this? So, Acts 16, heading back there. Just imagine time warp. Ten years earlier, Paul is on his second missionary journey 
He's with Timothy, Paul, uh, Paul obviously, uh, Silas, and Luke. And they arrive in Philippi. They come in order to preach the gospel. Last week we looked at how the Lord began the good work in this city by opening the heart of Lydia. Lydia believes the gospel, and then her and her whole household is baptized. And that's a wonderful way to start things off. Smooth sailing for the gospel preachers. But then trouble comes. A fortune-telling slave girl starts following the group. And she cries out and says, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And Luke records that she does this day after day after day. Same thing. Just if you ever had a kid repeat the same thing over and over and over again. All right, well, this, this lady is saying, these are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. True prediction. Right? But after many days, it says that Paul being greatly annoyed. Right? Being greatly annoyed. And it's like, this is just like, yes, Paul is human. He's just a better human than the rest of us because it's taken him days to get greatly annoyed. And then he commands that the spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. But our masters are furious because they see that their hope of profit is gone. No more fortune teller. No more profit. So they drag Paul and Silas to the Roman authorities. And they shake them by the collar and says, These men, being Jews, have exceedingly troubled our city. And they teach customs which, we are, not, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then a multitude rises up and attacks Paul and Silas. And the authorities seize them. They strip off their robes. They beat them bloody with rods. They hand them over to the Philippian jailer. And he locks them in prison, chaining them, fastening in their stocks. So here we are. The gospel preachers chained in prison. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. And then suddenly there's a massive earthquake, and all the doors burst open, and the manacles open. And then the jailer is shaken awake, and he sees that the doors are open, and he despairs that the prisoners escape. And right when he's about to kill himself, Paul cries out, says, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer collapses and begs, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Paul gives him the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And it's still in the wee hours of the night. The jailer brings his household, uh, brings them to his house and hears. And they believe, and they're all baptized. And they rejoice, having believed in God with all his household. Here's the story of how the gospel advances. Here's the story of how the gospel advances through chains, through suffering. What do we take from this? Well, we start at the end. We start at the end with the jailer's question. It says, what must I do to be saved? This is a question that we all must answer. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. How are you saved? Well, it is through the suffering of Jesus Christ. It is through another man, a truly innocent man, being arrested, being chained, being beaten, being mocked, being tortured, being crucified on a cross. Being, de- being buried. Right? And then another earthquake shakes him loose and he raises up triumphant over the grave. Right? We are saved through the suffering of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus sets you free. Right? Last week we saw how the Lord opened Lydia's heart. He opened her heart. He opens the prison doors. He opens 
the shackles. He opened the Roman palace. There is no sin that Christ cannot open, cannot free you from. He has the power. So, believe. Believe and be baptized. But Christian, if you have already been baptized, if you have already believed, if he has already set you free, then here's a warning. Don't keep living in prison. Don't keep living under the shackles of sin. Guess when you don't sing and rejoice? It's when you are still chained in pornography. Guess when you don't do the work courageously for the gospel? It's when you're gossiping. It's when you're angry. It's when you're disobeying and scoffing at your parents. But the gospel of Jesus sets you free. You confess that, and he provides you freedom. The second charge, what do we learn? What do we take from this? Is that Christians trust that God is sovereign, that he is working in your trials. So that way you can rejoice. Just remember, just imagine what what the day after, the day after all of this happened, when Paul and Silas filled Luke and Timothy in. He says, guys, I want you to know that the things which happened to us, the angry mob getting beaten, getting thrown into prison, the earthquake, right? It all turned out for the advancement of Christ's gospel. I would like you to introduce the Philippian jailer, right? our new brother, and here's his whole family, right? That is remarkable work that God is able to do through that. Right? What are the things which happen to you? that God's able to work through? What are the things that happen to you? It might be a financial hardship, right? Like, I don't got enough money right now. It might be there's frustration at work, right? You get ripped off by your boss. There's a car accident. There's a spat with your roommate. There's a cancer, right? Your husband or your wife is unfaithful to you. Do you trust that the Lord is able to work in that? And if so, trust, rejoice, even sing. And along with this, notice that when Paul is in in this trial, he's not alone. And this this is a small point, but I think this is so important. He sang, he prayed, and he did all of this with Silas. He had a friend. He had a brother. He had a co-singer, a co-prayer. And if we are going to go out and live like Paul did, we can't do it alone. Find a brother who is going to be in prison with you, and he's going to sing with you. Become a friend like that. Find a friend like that. So here's the last charge. What do we take from this? You have believed the gospel. You have trusted in God's sovereign hand. The final charge is to go and boldly live and preach the gospel in Moscow. Go out. We had that vision where Paul said uh, he's received the vision from the Lord. It's like all of Macedonia. Go and help. Go and preach. What's our vision? All of Moscow. All of Moscow is our vision. And when Paul arrives in the city of Philippi, he believed that the city was already the Lord's. Right? It's part of Christ's heaven and earth that we are to go and disciple. And so he preached. But the lordship of Jesus did not prevent an angry mob loyal to Caesar to mobilize, to march against the Christians. Right? They got the implication. Right? If Caesar or if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar's not. And they were furious. Right? Jesus is Lord of Moscow. And so we preach that he is the Christ. Right? Yesterday, we were reminded that we are still in the battle over Moscow. Right? There were two armies out 
marching. Did you hear about that? There are two mar armies marching for Moscow. There's the March for Life, and there's what's called the Women's March. Right. On the Women's March, on the Facebook page, it says, the first line is, we are outraged. We are organized. We are outraged. We are organized. Right? And they say, maybe they're, they say that they're outraged over Trump. Right? Or maybe they're outraged over toxic masculinity. But ultimately, what are they outraged about? They are outraged that Jesus is Lord. And they're angry. Right? They hate it. Jesus is Lord. Right? The Philippians were outraged and organized. And they said, being Romans, we can't accept the teaching that Jesus is Lord. Being feminists, we can't accept the teaching that Jesus is Lord. Being homosexuals, we can't accept the teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Being abortionists, we can't accept that Jesus is Lord. Being fornicators, being liars, being coveters. What are they? They are sinners. And they must accept Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. This is the gospel that we must take out. The good news that Jesus saves sinners, of whom I'm the chief. We believe that the Lord wants Moscow. So what do we do? We pray. We sing. We love those who are the enemies of the gospel. That's what we do. We live all of Christ for all of life, for all the Moscow. And we know that the Lord will do a great work in that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the cross. We thank you that it stands as a monument of what you are able to accomplish through the suffering for your people, for the good of the world. Father, I pray that we would be reminded as Christians that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I pray that this, this gospel would go out first in our hearts, in our families, in our community. Father, we pray that those who are still living in rebellion, who are still chained in sin, that you would open their hearts and that they would come. They would come to know that you are Lord and that you are Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So last week our sermon was about the, our fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. And Lydia gave us a good example for what fellowship in the gospel looks like. Paul preached the gospel, and then the Lord opened her heart. She believes her whole household is baptized. And then, it seems like while she is still dripping wet, she invites Paul, Timothy, Silas to come over to her house and stay. Actually, she begs them to come over. Why? Well, the Lord has opened her heart. Therefore, she wants to open her home. The Lord has begun a good work in her through the gospel, so Lydia is ready to work, begging for the privilege to show some gospel fellowship. Right? What if that happened here? What if after church you are like Lydia, just begging people to come over to be able to keep fellowshipping, to keep celebrating the work that the Lord is doing? Right? And of course, this kind of fellowship takes effort. It's not easy. Lydia had to fo feed four grown men, and then her house becomes the home base for Operation Take Macedonia. You got so many messes that keep coming in, right? not just about the floor, but the people. It's a lot of work. And Paul says that he gives thanks for the, f for the fellowship that they have because the Lord is at work. I, too, give thanks for the fellowship that we have in our Christ Church community. 
I love the full impact fellowship at CCD where it's just a melee out in the foyer. You're trying to talk to people, get your coffee, get your fishy crackers, and it's, it's crazy. You can't talk to anyone because everyone's talking. Right? I love that. But we also know that fellowship in the gospel is not just hospitality and fishy crackers. Gospel fellowship prays and sings together while your feet are in the stocks. This gives you the courage to speak up against your atheist biology professor. Gospel fellowship produces the courage to confront bad attitudes and bickering. And so we begin right here at this gospel table. Here at this meal, we are partakers of the grace of God. Here the Lord loves us so that out of uh, the abundance, we may love more and more. Here, the Lord gives us courage for his good work. So come and welcome to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of this table. Lord, this is an evidence of the good work that you have begun in us. Lord, I pray that this would fill us up with the desire to work, to serve, to share in the fellowship that we have Lord, I pray that hospitality would become more and more uh, pattern and flourishing in our own hearts, lives, community. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This, uh, this year, uh, one of my main prayers is that the Lord would give me courage. I need courage. I know that the Lord, the Lord needs to give it. And my prayer this week has actually been uh, from, from this passage, and it's, it's the charge that I would, I would give to you all. If you need courage, then, play, then pray believing for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you pray that, believing that, that gives you courage. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen.